We all probably hear of churches that are vibrant churches, maybe churches that have a, a Holy Spirit sensitivity, and every one of us would enjoy being in a church like that. Um, we often, though, hear of churches that are just mundane, um, routine, we would even say sometimes ordinary. Um, sometimes there is an academic nature to the church that is, it's not, that's not a problem. Um, but sometimes the academic can overwhelm the vibrant and uh, be more um, pedantic or didactic, if you will, a lot of teaching. Um, but, uh, and, and that's good in balance. That's, there's a book called um, uh, The Trellis and the Vine, and that kind of, kind of dissects the, the, you know, the necessity of organization and, and methodology, but also the need for vibrancy in life. So um, there seems to be kind of two camps in churches, um, even maybe a church that would say, we're going to focus on edification and another church that would think, well, we're going to focus on evangelism when really the two ought to be together and, and blend. So my question is, um, what is it that can impact both of those gatherings? In other words, when we go to church this Sunday, um, what is it that can arrest our hearts? What is it that really can pull us out if we are in a, maybe a gathering, maybe in our own hearts, we're ordinary. Maybe we're, mund- we're bored. Maybe there's a, a lack of Holy Spirit sensitivity in our hearts. Maybe we tend toward more of the academic than, and I don't want to say academic without vibrancy, but um, maybe routine. We're in a routine. What can, what can cause us to come out of that? And maybe we can... Because we're entering, we're in the weekend and Sunday's coming, how can we pray for our Sunday gathering? So um, there is a a sermon by Charles Haddon Spurgeon called How Hearts Are Softened. How Hearts Are Softened. And let me just read one paragraph from this. It kind of identifies in a far more eloquent way what we're talking about. And then we'll look at Zechariah chapter 12. So the Spurgeon says this, hardness of heart is a great and grievous evil. It exists not only in the outside world, but in many who frequent the courts of the Lord's house. Beneath the robes of religion, many carry a heart of stone. It is more than possible to come to baptism and to the sacred supper to come constantly to the hearing of the word and even as a matter of form to attend a private religious attend to private religious duties, and yet still to have an unrenewed heart, a heart within which no spiritual life palpitates and no spiritual feeling exists. Nothing good can come out of a stony heart. It is barren as a rock. To be unfeeling is to be unfruitful. Prayer without desire, praise without emotion, preaching without earnestness. What are all these? Like the marble images of life, they are cold and dead. So let Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 offset that. This is an interesting prophetic 
passage of scripture. Um, the prophet looking down the corridor of time and being used as a prophet, uh, a voice of prophecy for the Lord. But Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 says this, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So this is future. The spirit of grace and supplications. So God will move on their hearts and empower people to look to him. So he's pulling them out of their hardness, if you will. And they, the text goes on, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. So something changes. Something's different here. This is not just looking at the crucifixion and even not even just looking at Jesus, but they're seeing the Messiah. We pierced the Messiah. It's arresting to them. It's sobering to them. It's transformative to them. Um, How does this intensity come? How does this life-changingness happen? And the, the text goes on, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Now, there is no complacency here. In fact, this word for mourn means to tear the hair and beat the breasts. So this is agony. This is this is intense. Um, an act of grace by God brings this. So as I read this, I'm thinking, what will it take in my heart to bring my heart out of complacency? What will it take in a congregation to break up the fallow ground and even to the point of revival and awakening and kingdom advance? Um, It appears that when we see that it's Jesus who died for our sins, we often maybe even ask somebody, what's the essence of the gospel? And they would say, well, Jesus died for my sins. And that's true. But often the focus is on us. (laughs) Jesus died for my sins. But back up a word and think of it. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. And that's often the focus of an Easter service or a Resurrection Sunday service. And it's appropriate. But even if we back up one word past that phrase, Jesus died for my sins, it's Jesus who died for my sins. Um, I I read read a a devotional a while back, and I captured this, and I don't remember who wrote it. I just captured what he said, or she said, um, it is not so much a mourning for the crucifixion, but for the person involved, capital P person. It's not so much for the mourning for the crucifixion, but that it's Jesus who died. It's Jesus who died. And may it be that even as we gather gather tomorrow that we can pray, God, would you, as an act of grace, cause people to see Jesus and 
and then they can appreciate the crucifixion, and then they can appreciate the sin that Jesus died to bring us out of. But it is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb. Um, so with that, let's, let's conclude with Revelation chapter 5 and, and verse 12. Revelation 5 and verse 12 says this. I'm sorry, verse 11 and 12. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Look at the focus here. The lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And if we were to count, I, I, I believe there's in the book of the Revelation, 28 times Jesus is referred to as the lamb. It's the focus on who Christ is, the pure, holy, innocent, divine lamb. And so in this sermon, Spurgeon also said, when we see the Lord pierced, the piercing of our heart begins. When we see the Lord pierced, the piercing of our hearts begins. Child of God, I, I challenge us to be gripped with the passion for who Jesus is. And made to and and for what he does and has done, but for who he is, and turn our hearts to see Christ Jesus in our gatherings tomorrow, and even cause God would you cause unbelievers to see Jesus, and as a result, repent. So this is not fire insurance. This is not get out of health you know, um, get out of the, the flames harm. This is not easy believism. This is treasuring and following Christ. And it really becomes the urgency of our praying. We're praying fervently and urgently that people will see Jesus. May we see Jesus. So we'll go to prayer and, um, Let's uh, continue to pray for the things that have been in the emails over the last week, if you remember, but specifically uh, praying for uh, revival, for people to come to Christ, as we referenced yesterday, what the Puritans would call the revival of religion, um, gospel advance, but also there's those who need wisdom in walking with the Lord. There's unbelievers that we're praying for. And um, let's just go to God in prayer and uh, redeem a good bit of prayer time today, carrying our love for Jesus to him, even adoring our, our Savior for who he is and for what he's done.